You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. Hi. Welcome back in. It's PXPCast, everybody. It's the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. My name is Joel Gadette. I'm the television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals, and I call some basketball on CBS Sports Network as well. This is episode number 180 of the podcast, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. It's on social media at PXPCast. I am on social media at Joel Godette, or you can shoot me an email, J-G-O-D-E-T at bsu.edu. Two pods this week. If you missed the midweek edition with Emma Tiedemann, the new voice of the Portland Sea Dogs, go check that one out. Glenn Geffner of the Miami Marlins was our guest on Friday last week. Spiro Ditas uh, preceded Glenn. Check out the most recent episodes. And as we always say, if you're new to the podcast, there's 179 episodes before this one. So if you have 179 hours, thereabouts, which let's be honest right now, We have that. (laughs) Feel free to go back and scroll through uh, some of the previous episodes of this podcast and take a listen and uh, see what you come up with. Alex Birchie is our guest this week. Got some really good feedback about the Mike Moore episode. Uh, Great television producer, was behind the launch of ESPNU back in 2005. So we went the producer route again on an episode here this week. Alex Birchie is a senior coordinating producer for live events at Big Ten Network. He has been with BTN since 2010. He's been in his current role since June of 2016. Before that, he was a coordinating producer and a senior producer um, before that. Prior to joining BTN, he worked with CBS Sports and actually started with CBS Sports in 2001, right after he graduated from Syracuse and worked at CBS all the way up until 2010 when he joined BTN. So he's had a lot of different roles, but at only two companies and has worked his way up to being uh, one of shall we say, the bigwigs at Big Ten Network. Alex has always been great to me. Uh, I've had the chance to sit down with him a couple of times when my broadcasting has taken me to Chicago. He has been uh, a great kind of check for me. He's been really good to me in that respect as, as somebody that I can kind of bounce off of critique and navigating the, the seas and the waters of broadcasting on television and for that reason I thought it would be really cool to talk to Alex about his path through the broadcast industry and how he sees a broadcast both uh, when he was a producer and then as a coordinating producer and now as a senior coordinating producer at BTN. Beyond that no big long introduction this week let's dive right into it with Alex Birchie of BTN. Why do you make television like what what is it about all of this that inspires you or inspired you originally you know it's very it's so funny you asked me that my one of my daughters my older daughter six years old she said to me today daddy why do you have your job why do you want to have your job <laughs> and so I, ju- I mean literally half an hour ago i'd just been 
thinking about it, you know, and I guess I'll say it how I said it to a six-year-old, but you know, <laughs> when I was, when I was young, I liked sports and I liked TV. And I remember talking to my mom and she said, well, you know, you can do that. You can do that. <laughs> and um, so, you know, that was, I went to, I went to Syracuse. I went to a place that had a, you know, what was, you know, Mike Tarico had been there, you know, all this, you know, all the, these great people in sports television. Um, and so that, that was kind of a thought from a, from a pretty young age for me. Um, just because, and, and I think my, my parents had instilled in me like, well, someone's got to do it. So do it. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, ultimately it, it's fun, right? I mean, I, I lived in New York for about 10 years after college and I had a lot of friends who were in finance or, you know, going to law school or doing stuff like that. And, we're talking about things that I still don't understand what they're, what they mean. And, and I was, I was watching sports all day long and talking sports um, with people at work in a intelligent and fun way. Um, yes, I worked hard. Right. But who doesn't right? in any walk of life these days? Um, you know, I work nights and weekends. And I always joke that, you know, sports are on when everyone else is off. Um, and you, you just got to accept that if this is a career path you want to be in and, um, I'm sure everyone listening to this has long accepted that. Um, and so I do it because I enjoy it. It's fun. You know, I, I, I think I try not to take our jobs too seriously, right? We are here to entertain, right? People who are watching sports, I think now more than ever, we see yeah. that, right? Um, we are here to entertain. And, and let's, you know, I say to often to my announcers, like, if, you, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not having fun, what what is the point? Why would our Why would our viewers be watching, like, <laughs> they they want to have fun. They want to hear the person calling the game have fun. Um, and so I think ultimately I, I did this because I want to have fun and I want to do something with my life that that I enjoyed. And and um, this over you know almost twenty year career has has been that for me. Maybe the the answer to my next question lies within what you just said there too. But what is and. and now kind of looking at it through the lens of, of the role that you're in now and, and, and the amount of kind of responsibility you have and the way that you oversee things, what stimulates you in all of that? Like, is it the story of sports? Is it like when you turn on a game and you're watching, what about what you're looking at and what you're consuming? Um, yeah. It stimulates is for lack of a better word, the, the mind and your interest and intrigue. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, from a work perspective, um, it's how it's covered, right? I, my I have colleagues, we always joke, um, you know, we watch a game, you'll text people, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? And someone will always jump in, watch like a fan, right? <laughs> and sometimes in our in our industry and in, in, the, in the jobs that we do, it, it's tough to watch like a fan. So, um, you know, sometimes there are a couple of teams that, that, I'm, that I'm able to switch to a fan mode. But but in general, when I'm watching sports uh, of any kind of TV, I, I watch and a lot of the coverage. And, and a lot of it is basic, right, is how much are we getting in the way as uh, or, or is the production getting in the way, right? I, I think it's it's fairly simple um, that we, we want to cover the game. Um, the fans at home want to cover the game. And there's things we want to do to enhance that, certainly, right? There, there are aspects to being storytellers. There are aspects to creating um, creating stars. You know, we I always use the term celebrate the great, right? If you are watching a game and someone does something amazing, it's a single play, uh, they score 60 points in a basketball game, you know, make everyone aware about it, talk about it, show it, recap it. Um, so, but ultimately what, what stimulates me is kind of how, how we 
show the product to the viewer. And, um, and ultimately, like I said, I, I think in our profession, on the production side, um, it's really mostly not getting in the way. Um, and there are certain, you know, at a, at a basis on, on a game in a production, I think if we can, we can see it, we can hear it and we can understand it. Um, we're in good shape. And by that, I mean, like if I can have the main game camera, um, I can see the play on a basketball game. Um, if I can hear the announcers, um, and I can maybe see the, the Fox box, you know, the score, the game, if I have those three things, um, everything else is, is kind of bonus. So, um, I, I like, I don't, and I'm, and I'm, I'd like to think I'm not a negative person. So I'm not like I'm watching for the negative, but, um, I, I often like to see how, how people are not getting in the way. Um, and then of course there are very cool things that, um, people are doing in a variety of ways, in and out of break teases, halftime, cool camera angles. And so that's always fun. Cause you always want to kind of push the limits and, um, and do things a little differently that if that didn't intrigue you, you know, probably being in an industry so technically based is probably not a place to be, but, um, so th those things, those things are fun as well. Um, but, but I always think I'm watching, um, to, to see, to see how we cover the basics. That's interesting from the, the standpoint of watch like a fan. Um, because mm. I think sometimes we can have, we, we can all have the, the tendency almost to overthink it too much. And like something that might seem important to us, like the fan doesn't care about, they just want, they just want the product delivered to them. And sometimes if we get out of our own ways, we make our lives easier. Um, and the, and the fan at home almost appreciates it more. I think that's so true. I think, you know, it, it's, it's tough to watch like a fan when, when, you know, you're watching sports all day long as a job, right. It, mm -hmm. It's hard to, to make that switch. Um, I even find it, um, you know, I'm in the office generally for certainly for every football game that we have or, or on site and same thing for, for virtually all of our basketball games. Um, but, but not all. And, and every once in a while when I'm home and, and someone is covering for me in the office. We have like a one game night and I'm home and I'm watching the game at home. I have a completely different perspective mm. um, than when I'm sitting in my office and I'm able to talk on uh, RTS or people in the control room or in the truck. Um, and I'm just, my mind works differently as opposed to if I'm sitting on my couch, um, you know, my kids are running around and I'm living normal life like a normal person. <laughs> um, you, you have a different perspective and you realize, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Um, that, you know, not that we shouldn't all strive to be perfect. Um, but really, um, it's live TV. Part of the reason we all got into this is the excitement of live TV. Um, things are bound to go wrong. Um, and ultimately, you know, it, it's very, it's very rarely that there's some huge monumental mistake that, that's, that gets in the way of the broadcast. I want to go back to the very beginning of your career, if I can. Uh, when you mm -hmm. when you graduated from college, you started working at CBS mm -hmm. right out of the shoot in uh, in two thousand one. Mm -hmm. We talk a ton about preparation on this podcast, and uh, anytime I talk to CBS folks, uh, they will always mm -hmm. talk about. Uh, and I, I guess ESPN, but I, I know it more from the CBS side. Um, we get tons of research information that gets sent mm -hmm. our way before every game, and mm -hmm. uh, you were one of the guys that put those packets together initially. So I'm, cur I'm curious from having been uh, in that role, where does all that come from? Like what, what kind of scurrying gets done in that role to, to dredge up the types of information that are put on those packets that are sent our way? 
Now, now it certainly it certainly changed a lot since um, <laughs> since I did. So even in my first, so I was in the research department at CBS Sports for two years. Um, in my first year, we didn't have Stats Inc. or or, um, or anything like that, right? Um, or Sport Radar, or any or any kind of statistical based company, um, pro football focus. You know, th- there, there's a ton now out there that are, do unbelievable job and get you so much information. My first year, we didn't have any of that. It was us, right? I mean, to to the point where I remember trying to look up, you know, some who had the most receptions by a tight end for a team. Um, and, and basically I couldn't find it. Um, whereas now it would take you, you know, 10 seconds. Right. And, um, and, and so we didn't have that the first year. The second year we, uh, CBS Inc to deal with, with stats. Um, and we had their stats fast database. You can find all that stuff immediately. So, um, I mean, a lot of it at the time is, um, you know, game notes, releases, media guides, um, and then knowing, you know, you'd have really good communication with say, what is the producer or really the, the, at CBS, it was the broadcast associate, the person in charge of graphics, uh, the BA, who is the person that I remember being most in touch with on each game. And Hey, our announcer like this, likes this, or can we look up that? Um, and it was fun. And I, I always say to people about that in that role, what I learned most was, um, you know, I, you don't need to be the person who knows the most in the world um, about sports, right? You need to be the person who can fig- find things out the quickest. Um, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a good, I'm a sports fan. Certainly I have been all my life, but aren't we all in this industry? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I don't think I'm any better than that, than the most people. What I got good at was Googling, right. At, at a time where there was kind of new, it was just, you know, using my resources. I got, I became the person who was very good at Lexus Nexus, right? Like I just, you know, I was, I was resourceful in that. And I still, and I still think that to this day, like I see people I work with who are just encyclopedias of, of, of sports. And I'm not that, I mean, I, you know, I, but I can, I can look it up. And I think that was really that lesson I learned uh, in the research department and then learning certainly for kind of moving up in the, in the game, what, what people in the production and what announcers, what's important to them. Um, it's not just random stories, random facts. Right. There's a purpose, there's a purpose um, to the information you're looking for. How did that uh, start to evolve once you got into remote production? Um, again, we all know how we prepare for games as announcers. How does a producer prepare for a game in terms of learning how to tell the story and thinking about how they want to convey that? Yeah, I mean, I think that evolves, right? I think for me, early on, it was about stats and graphics and and tape, and because I was a production person and mm. I was in charge of, um, in, I was in charge of graphics, right? And so that's all I thought about. And I spent my whole week, and it was great at CBS. Like I would spend my whole week preparing for one game, and you could, man, you could really dive into. You could. I read every. If I did an NFL game, I read every article. Um, from the local papers on each team. And I knew those teams in and out just as the play-by-play people did, but, but was looking for, I was really focused on when they, when they put a kind of an arcane stat in there and looking for those things. So when I was a graphics person, I was that, then I kind of, when I became an associate director, which slash tape producer kind of um, at CBS, you know, I was in charge of editing videotape packages of things that had happened in the past. So, and then when I started producing games, it was, th- those are the things I had the main background of, um, and so I was so focused. Okay. I'm going to tell a story with this graphic. I'm going to tell a story with this tape. Um, and, and I still see this with younger producers, but I was probably worse, worse at it than, than most. Um, 
that um, I was so I was so focused on on those aspects that the telling of the story, you know, really most importantly includes the announcers. And so um, and and storytelling is great. Um, but it's really about like how you tell the story much more. I mean, we all want, we, we all want to be story, right? We want to tell the story of whatever's going on. Um, and that, and that's important. Um, but the difference between, I think, good producers, um, and bad producers of which I was one, um, was, was kind of knowing how to tell that story. Um, and, and really the transition for me of going to someone who was, you know, a rung or two down on the production ladder, um, doing various roles and then to being the person who, um, was working with the announcers, calling replays, you know, in charge of re- uh, graphics, in charge of tape, um, with w- that I struggled at at the dealing with the announcers and the communicating with the announcers and and understanding that it wasn't 100% my show, um, and not that I was a selfish person, but I just thought that's the way it was um, until you work with people, be like, hey, you know, here's this, and and I was so smart enough to be like out of break, oh, say the announcers, hey, what is there something you want to do here? Um, but really I try to push him, push my <laughs> agenda on people, right. Where that's not needed. And, um, so, um, yeah, coming up, you, you, I think you learn, you know, when I was at CBS for those 10 years, I really, they, they did a great job of putting you in one position. So you learn that position, moving to another position. So you learn that position and then being the person, whether it's a producer or director, who's in charge of those positions, but you have a, an understanding, um, of the positions below you, but the, but the new tasks are are certainly the hard ones this, dealing with the announcers specifically. This may be hard to cherry pick out, but is there a, is there a moment or a story or something that you guys covered while you were in that role that, like from a production standpoint, you were really proud of uh, how a story was told and how a vision came together? You know, not 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 as a producer, probably because I don't think I probably did it ever well. Um, but I can think of. I can think of many in my current role, which producers for me sure. have done. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, and I say that I can think of many, and now I'm not going to be able to think of any. But <laughs> I would, what, what, what I can, there, there's so many times of of how um, our people tell a story in terms of. Um, in basketball, right? Coaches often say they, they coach in, in four minute increments, right? right? There's the timeout, the under 16, the 12, eight, and four. And, and I think often our producers will do that well, right? We um, come back from break with an L, you know, mic'd up in the huddle. And then they talk about something. We go to break that has something like that, or come back talking about a guy. He makes a great play. We go to break with that great play. You know, announcers do it as well. Here's an example. For some reason, it's always, I always think about this. Um, we had a game a couple of years ago, Kevin Kluger, who I know you recently had on the podcast yeah. did. We had it was the first game of the year, maybe a couple of years ago on a football season. We had a tease. It ended with something like, um, it was the first week of the year. Welcome back football. We missed you. And, um, it was an unbelievable game goes to goes to overtime team wins in overtime. And Kevin throws in this line of, you know, welcome back football. We missed you. And it was just like, I'm a firm believer that no one is probably watching from start to finish those games. Um, and so, but I probably was the only person who noticed it, but, but he did it. I just thought that was, it was so smart of kind of like telling the story of, you know, that's what a tease is trying to do, kind of set the stage and, and kind of playing it off. So I think um, it's using the different things that we have to tell a story, whether it's, like I said, mic'd up in a huddle or a tease or the voice of the announcer or a replay to break. Um, and it's, you know, I, I see, you know, I think showing a, 
a two box where two angles are synced up and to be able to tell this or this happened at the same time that this happened it, it, as opposed to just saying it or um, just showing a replay. I mean, I think one of the, in, term, in terms of telling stories, I always think uh, and covering the game, the most important thing we can do as a production people um, is, is to cover replay situations well in terms of uh, when officials are looking at things. Like we can affect how the game the outcome of the game, right? We, mm-hmm. we show a good angle um, or if we don't show a good angle, the officials may or may not be able to, to, to make the right call. And so, um, you know, that's storytelling as well, right? Um, showing, showing different angles at the right time, putting in perspective. Um, sometimes the angle that should have it doesn't and an angle that shouldn't have it do- does. So you got to, you know, tell the story. You got to kind of adjust uh, in that way. Well, the four minute war piece of that is interesting too. Because I, I think we think about it, it, coaches will always talk about it in, in terms of the game. And, you know, we got to win X number of four minute wars. But I think if you're mm-hmm. a broadcaster and you, you kind of treat those like chapters in a sense and then weave those together of what's the story of this four minutes and what are we going to encapsulate in this four minutes and then uh, carry that over to the next time out. I agree. I mean, I think it's, it's one of the things I love about college basketball is that ability is it's, it's pretty finite, right? I mean, certainly there can be no, there can be no whistle and it goes longer. And then you have like in the second half, the, the coaches call time. Right. Now you have that that three second segment. We always joke, well, that, you know, know, chalk that up to the Emmys. Right. I mean, like, (laughs) but, but generally it's pretty, it's pretty consistently four minutes and you can very much prepare and producers, um, you know, maybe sometimes can even over prepare, especially in basketball. Say, hey, out of this break, I want to do this. Out of this break, I want to do this. But um, as long as you're willing to get get off of that when you need to, um, it, it it enables the the whole broadcast to have a real good sense of of a plan um, going in. Let me ask you about announcers in particular, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, in your role in particular, uh, what separates in your eyes? the elite from the very good from the good? Well, I, one, I, I would say I love the way you phrased that because I think I, I, you know, I get a lot of reels and I watch a lot of reels and I talk to a lot of people. And I would say a majority of the, not of, very close to all the people I, I listen to are at, at minimum good, right? There are very few I hear that are horrible. Very, very few. Um, the people who I'm hearing from are, are all, you know, at, at minimum good. Um, and I think it's really what separates the, the good from the great to the elite, um, right? It's, it's the little things. Um, I, I would say ultimately what I like to think is um, the, the best announcers have a good personality. Um, and when I say good personality, I just want to define that. I don't mean big personality. I think a lot of people think when I say it's about personality, I mean like you need to have a stick or you need to be like a vaudeville act. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it is. I, I would say – I would define good personality is is how you would define a friend, like wanting to be friends with somebody, right? Are they fun to be around? Are they smart? Are they nice? Are they witty? Do they tell good stories? Are they a good listener? Um, you know, th- those are things. Do you like being around them? Um, those are things that you would want in a friend. Um, and you know, you I always hear people say, "Is it the person you like to sit next to on the couch and watch a game with?" And yes, I mean. It, it is that. Um, and, you know, you, you can nitpick what that means and how that means. But like, um, I, I think that's really 
Um, that's really the key. I, so th that's kind of the, the big picture thing. I, I, I would say the number one thing I come across that separates um, good from from great is the play-by-plays interaction with the analyst. Um, that for me is an, a pretty quick, easy tell um, when listening, when watching a tape on, on where someone is. Um, you know, I, I think, <clears throat> I think you hear, uh, you know, the play-by-play -play people are generally uh, more seasoned, right? E even if we're talking about a 22 or 24 year old person, right? That person has probably been doing it for four years in college and maybe even for a couple years in high school. So you're 22, you might be, have done this for six years. Maybe you're 24, you might've been doing this for eight years. Well, the, you're, and you're at some school or you're at a, a small team and the analyst is a, a player who just got hurt last week or someone <laughs> who works in the athletic department who happened to have played that sport. Right. And, and you've yeah. been working on your craft for six, eight years. You, you might be fairly young, but you've still been working on your craft for a while. Uh, and your analyst just sat down and is like, what, what looks like they're watching the game because no one's taught them any better. Um, so, and so it's tough. It's really tough for, for especially young play-by-play -play people, I think, because they're generally working with very unseasoned analysts. Um, but your job is a play. One of your jobs as a play-by-play -play is to make that analyst seem better than they are um, to have a conversation with that analyst. And I, I think I used the word before, but be a listener, right? Like I, I will often hear um, even people I think are very good um, are really calling, almost say calling a separate game from their analyst. Analyst talks, play-by-play -play talks, analyst talks, play-by-play -play talks. And there's, there's not a flow. There's not a back and forth. The play-by-play -play person may, throw a perfunctory question out, but they don't even really listen to the answer and they keep going. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, the, like I said, the good personalities that is the things my first kind of, is this person likable is, you know, and there's obviously the basics of voice and, you know, names and stuff like that, but, um, having a good personality. And I think working with the analyst, um, are the two things that I pay attention to, um, first when when uh when watching a wheel it was interesting uh spiro Ditas, when we had him on uh one of the things we talked about in reviewing yourself was he always listens back for that like what did an analyst say and how did he run with it or, or how did he respond and uh, one of the things that i always listen for too is like i'll listen back to something and if an analyst says something I'll go, all right, where did I take this? And if I don't take it anywhere, it's the most infuriating thing in the world. And it's trying to make sure you're in the moment as much as possible in a game so you don't miss those opportunities. I agree. I, had a, I was talking to one of our producers about this a couple of weeks ago, and he said something which I really liked. Um, you know, for a play-by-play -play person to think of themselves as maybe 20% host and 80% play-by-play. You know, you, you're, you're not... You're, you're there to like a host on a studio show to engage the people around you. And um, it's similar for a play-by-play -play person within a game. Um, how much of it is voice? I, I, I probably think less than other people. Um, yes. I want people to have a good voice. Sure. I mean, I'm not going to want someone to have a bad voice. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I think maybe, you know, I think our profession has evolved a lot um, on that. I think you might, if you looked at the people who did this job 50 years ago, it was probably 
95% voice. And I think now it's, I can't even give it a number, but it's well, well, well beyond that. Uh, well, well, well below that. Um, I think, you know, l- listen to the best people in, in this profession and there, they, there's a, there's a range of voices. Um, but to me, um, like what I said about personality, I don't think is any unique groundbreaking information. I think that's yeah. what most people are looking for. Um, and I think um, where we are right now as a, as a profession, it's nice. There are certain aspects of voice. Hey, I really want your voice. Um, I'll often say to people, um, listening to people in a big call moment, I want your voice to rise to the occasion. Mm. But that's a lot more about energy um, and tone than it is about your actual voice. Now, listen, there are some people who have like, voice of the gods right and you're like whoa man that, that voice is unbelievable um and that's great um i'm not i'm not, I'm not certainly not against that but it's it's a pretty small part of um my evaluation process um when it comes to detail uh, you know you get that interesting predicament of people will say well you're on television everyone can see what's happening in the game mm-hmm. um and then there's also people that will tell you you still have to call the game. So mm-hmm. I'm curious from your standpoint, what what hits home with you in terms of how much you want someone to say or how much sounds good for someone to say? If it's, you know, if somebody says, you know, Johnson left wing three, is that all necessary or can they just drop his name or can they say nothing? And when the shot goes in, take it from there. I think depending on the circumstance, I think all three are fine. I think it's when, when you do the same thing every single time that it's a problem. Hmm. Um, right. Like if you're, if you're calling, if you're calling the play every single play throughout it, it starts to get a little jarring. Now, listen, there, I can watch a single, uh, single trip down the floor and say, well, th- this person is, is giving way too much information. Right. When you're listening almost to like a radio, um, right. right. You know, like, so certainly there, there, that happens. Um, but I, I think there are possessions where you don't really need to say much because it's pretty well spelled out there. Um, you know, there is something to breaking up the silence a little, but, um, I I think strength of, of a play by play and an analyst can often be being comfortable with silence, right? I think sometimes people are not comfortable with silence. And so they say things that aren't necessary. Um, so I, I think it runs the gamut. I, I definitely think I like to say TV is a visual medium, right? Like we can see it. Um, that doesn't mean you should never speak. I think there's something as when I do watch as a fan, something I try to do is, is probably because I worked, I work in TV is that I like associating the number of the player to a person. Um, and I'm often as a fan, I don't sit there and have the you know TV rosters in front of me. So I need, I want them to the announcers to say stuff sometimes. So I, I think it's, it's a mix. Um, I think you need to point out certain things. I think you, but you also need to know when not to talk. Um, yeah, I, I like to say there's no, um, there's never an absolute. I try for there almost never to be an absolute in any instruction I give to our announcers, to our, to our production people. And I think um, this is one of those cases that, it's a little bit of a feel. I, I can tell you when you, you're doing it way too much. I can do doing way too little, but but varying up, I think, is generally a, a good a good rule. Yeah, the silence piece of it is interesting because I think mm-hmm. uh, people always say television's easier because you have to talk less. But I've always said you have to mm-hmm. understand where that is, and the the hardest part sometimes is being able to sit there and not say anything. 
and know that that's okay. It's unbelievable. And when people do it, it's like, wow, that is great. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll reference Kevin Cougar again. We had a, yeah. um, a football game, um, Illinois, Wisconsin, Illinois having a rough season, Wisconsin's top five in the country. Illinois hits a game winning field goal. And Kevin kind of just set it up beforehand along something along the lines of, you know, going, you know, going for the win. They'll let you know. <laughs> and they kick the Illinois kicks field goal. The place goes crazy. I mean, he didn't talk for 45 seconds a minute. And like it, one, it's someone who's so comfortable um, in understanding what's important and see, you know, if they're, if they're on the road, I'm sure he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do that. Right. But he, he knows they're at home. He knows the place is going to go crazy. What he thinks, wh- what am I going to add to this? Um, uh, and you know, he, he, could have waxed poetic for 30 seconds of, of he, and he did it a little leading into it um, just to kind of set the stage well. And, and he's, he's great at that. Um, but that's but, so he can get out at the, on the back end of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. He, right. He, it was all planned in his mind. Right. He knew me and it seems so off the cuff, but he, he's, that's why he's great. But, um, but I just thought, I remember that as a moment. It's like, wow. Like I happened to rewatch it recently and he, he just laid out and, there was a long time of no talking and at no point did you miss it. Um, you know, that's certainly a very specific instance. Um, but you gotta be, you gotta be real good at your job to not do your job. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way of phrasing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you talk about relationships and when you talk about listening, uh, and, and being able to interact and being able to continue that conversation, uh, what are the hallmarks of the best play-by-play analyst relationships that you've come across? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to say chemistry, right? Um, they like each other. They, they genuinely seem to enjoy being around each other. Um, they're, um, so, so it's easy to say that, but, but I think it's also true. Um, you know, I, I think – Specifically in football, it seems to be in our world, right? You have teams much more. Um, now, certainly, um, if you are a, a, a professional team, you have your announcers who are working together right. all year. But kind of on, on the on the national level, like a place like CBS or ESPN um, or Fox um, or Big Ten Network, um, like our, our football teams are working together every week. But maybe the basketball, you're bouncing around a little bit more. Um, so you have that time in football often more. And I think a good relationship is, um, you know, certainly chemistry. They're joking around, they're having fun together, you know, it goes back to like, we want to enjoy this, right. We want to, um, kind of inform and entertain. Um, but, but I think what I said before of listening, um, the play by play, specifically the play by play person's ability to listen to the analyst, um, really often to me creates the chemistry. Hey, you know, football specifically, I think is an analyst driven sport um, more so than others, maybe certainly more so than basketball. Um, And so there is a kind of an easy back and forth that the, the analysts never really, you never think that the analyst is upset that the play by play person's talking and and vice versa. Um, You know, sometimes when I have newer analysts, especially on basketball, we'll say, Hey, you know, you want to talk for about seven seconds after the basket. Maybe when you get about half court, you can wrap up. And, and those are very basic, um, very basic um, instructions. But once you're good and once there's a good flow between the, the play-by-play announcer and the analyst, it becomes much more of a conversation. And those lines are blurred 
Um, and when those lines are blurred, I think that's when you have a good relationship between your two announcers. How about uh, from the play-by-play to producer's chair? I know you referenced that um, when you were talking about being in the producer's role. Uh, mm-hmm. how, 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 do, how should that relationship function when it works well? Yeah, when, when, I, when it works well, and I've seen it work really well, only as a viewer, not as a producer. <laughs> um, but I've seen it work well, and, and the best, well, I think it's the best, is when it's, it feels like it's a three-man booth or a three-person booth um, with the play-by-play, the analyst, and the producer. Um, though, obviously you never hear the producer's voice on, on air. Right. Um, but I've been in, in trucks and control rooms where the producer is having a constant conversation with the two analysts, you know, it might be a word or two there. And, um, you know, there'll probably be, there'll be a camera on the announcers. You can see a nod or a thumbs up or, you know, and talk back, yup, I hear you or, or, or more verbose than that. Um, but when that happens, um, it feels like, like they're so, uh, kind of the, these three people are just working so well in sync. And I think that comes out. So when you go to break, it's not just like, okay, I have this graphic. Do you have anything? No. Okay. We're going to do this tape. It's, Hey, you were talking about this and, and the conversation kind of continues, mm. continues into break. Um, and then they're kind of working together and the producer, um, is almost a conduit of everyone in the in the truck or the control room head of this idea from graphics or tape um, to the announcers. Um, but when it works really well, um, I think it's a it's a three person conversation. Assuming it's a two people, you know, calling the game, um, uh, and that's when I've seen it. I've seen it work really well, and it's like, oh yeah, th- this is this is what it's supposed to be. Is there something unique to that when? Uh the people are not in the same physical location. Uh, and, and the way that that relationship functions when like, I, I'm like the, the first basketball game I ever did with, with, with you guys, it, mm-hmm. I, I knew the producer was in Chicago, but it never dawned on me. Like it, it, for whatever reason, until like an hour and a half before the game, I was like, Oh yeah, he's not here. Um, like we had just, we had been having conversations and it just like, it was a, it, it was the first time I'd ever done a game in that situation. And it was, it, it, it was weird for a hot second. Um, yeah. what's unique about that part of it or even just calling a game remotely? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, 10 years ago, I think this conversation is very different. Um, I think we're just, they're so, we're so used to it now. Um, uh, yeah, I think there are certain aspects. I think in game, there's no difference really. Um, right. I mean, like the, um, the producers in your ear in the same manner, right. really no difference. Right. It might be weird if you're doing a, a game and you're as the announcer are at practice, um, and the producer would normally be there, but they're not, or you're doing a conference call or as the announcer, you're in a conference call in the coach's office and you have to take out your cell phone and conference in the producer who's wherever. Yeah, that might be weird. Um, um, I mean, I, I think there's some things from the producer standpoint, right? Hey, um, it's, it's nice to have FaceTime with the coaches, with the officials. Um, but for, from a, from an announcer standpoint, besides the not putting a name to a face and not having that face-to-face interaction pregame, I think once you're in the game and listen, I, I've done games in the, you know, in trucks on site where I never see the announcers. Right. And I'm sure you've had that, right? Like, Hey, I've been in the truck all day. The announcer shows up two hours before and goes straight to the booth. Uh, 
we somehow miss each other after the game. I have to catch a flight or they have to catch a flight. And, and you think, well, I never really saw Joel. Um, <laughs> but um, so it, I, I think those aspects of it, it's just different. It's it, the first couple of times you do it, it's out of the ordinary. Um, but after that in game, it's the same communication. Um, so I don't think, you know, there's really that much, that much of a difference. I have uh, I have one coronavirus question for you um, okay. on the on the back side of mm-hmm. this, and that is, uh, how much different do you think will be in the, in the area of live event production because of all of this uh, when we come back on the other side? I don't know. I think is really the 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 best question. Um, I don't know. I, I think what. You know, we're, we're talking the day after the first round of the NFL draft, and um, what ESPN did last night was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, phenomenal. I just can't speak highly enough uh, of their production last night, uh, w- what they had to do technically. Um, and I, I read an article this morning kind of um, going to depth into things that they did. Um, and I, you know, that they had less people in the control room and spaced people out a little. And um, I think that's, a, that has been a, that's a very good blueprint of where we're going to go. We're so, um, we're so early on in this process. I, I couldn't even give it a fair answer. I mean, for us, I think different places are different. Um, we are focused really on on the next season that we could, that that would be playing, which is, you know, the fall of our fall sports. So we, we have time, um, right. We're, we're talking in late April right now. And our first games wouldn't be scheduled till late, late August. Um, when you're a place, other places that are doing, um, other sports that may come back sooner, they may have a better sense of it. Um, but I don't know, but what I, what I do know is what watching the draft last night that, um, you know, we can still put on some pretty amazing productions where, where technology is right now. Um, I mean, that one shot that they had of, say, it was 100 feeds up on the screen yeah. at, at one time was just mind-blowing. Um, and they just – I could fawn over there um, the work that they did last night all day long. It was just so – and I think a really good thing for our industry to say – we can do this. We will continue. We will think maybe we, whether in the current situation of doing things a little differently, or once this current situation is done, um, we're going to be able to do things and do them well. And I think they um, knocked it out of the park showing everyone that last night. It's honestly mind blowing that they, they didn't punch up the wrong feed a bunch. Like when you I mean, have it, that many choices. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was just so, I mean, I'm just like, like, I'm just, I can't, I can't even get out of the words how good I thought, um, what they did uh, you know i've never worked at espn um, i don't know anyone who worked on it last night um so i have no you know it's no skin in the game here but what 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 they did last night um i think it's you know makes me feel good as someone in this industry um that, that we're going to be we're going to be in good shaping i would put on um to show events and sports to our fans and it can be done and they man i mean whatever the adjective or the, the phrase is after they knocked it out of the park that's what they did well, Alex, uh, we will uh, we'll leave it there. I appreciate you for uh, the time and coming on and uh, letting me pick your brain a little bit. You got it, Joel. Great talking to you. All right, that's Alex Birchie joining us here on PXPCast. Something that he said that I've heard from other people in producers' chairs over the last couple of weeks as I've, trying, as I've been trying to pick some different minds. 
you know, I was on a Zoom a couple of weeks ago with Bill Bunnell, who is the producer of the game day game on ESPN, the Saturday big game that, you know, Chris Fowler and, and Kirk Herbstreet do. And the big thing he said, or one of the big things that he said, was that a lot of what they do is centered around Herbie. Like, he is their knowledgeable one. He is the former football player. He is the analyst. And and they center a lot of what they want to talk about around what Herbie wants to talk about in terms of what he sees in a game, what he sees in the teams, and then big picture-wise, kind of like what stands out to him. And hopefully I'm interpreting that right. What Alex said on the podcast and what he's voiced to me uh, several times in our previous conversations as well he looks a lot for how play-by-play people work with analysts and set up analysts and interact with analysts and draw out of their analysts. Uh, I was on the NSMA Zoom with Dan Schulman and Jay Billis yesterday, and one of the things Jay said was that he knows for a fact Dan is always thinking during a broadcast, am I doing enough to get Jay in? What else can I do to set Jay up? So if you take nothing else from this podcast with Alex Burchie, when we go into a broadcast, as a play-by-play person, we always think about, like, have a great call and call the action, and that is very important. And I actually had somebody point that out to me this week as well, said I wasn't calling enough of the action, and, and, and that had to come first, um, as opposed to the analyst uh, side, and, like, setting the analyst up and leading, finding the right balance. The number one responsibility is call the game, um, which is true. But the number one thing beyond that that I'm always thinking about going into a game now is am I setting up my analysts the right way? Am I giving them enough room to talk? And sometimes, more times than I would like, when I review stuff, the answer is is, is no. And, like, I cringe, and we talked about this on the Spiro Ditas episode, I cringe when I watch stuff back and the analyst says something, and in my mind immediately I go, Joel, ask him or her this. Joel, follow up with this, and I don't do it. When I do do it, I'm very excited. But if I don't do it, it is like the most nails on a chalkboard thing to me as a broadcaster that I'm listening back for right now. So if you take nothing else from what Alex Burchie said, think about your analyst when you are broadcasting on television. Alex Burchie is our guest this week on PXPCast. Many thanks to him for joining us. Senior coordinating producer from Big Ten Network. We're off until next Friday. Until then, my name is Joel Godet. Of course, this is Play by Playcast. The music is from Marshmallow, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.